Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5, 5. You may recognize that the Beatitudes follow a general spiritual order. A man is first blessed when he's emptied of his mistaken thoughts of self-righteousness and he becomes poor in spirit. This is usually the first sign that God has renewed his heart and mind. And so he begins to accurately grasp spiritual realities. That produces a recognition of his sinful condition, which he then mourns over. And these marks, poverty of spirit, mourning over sin, lead to meekness, which we will study this morning along with its reward. So let's look now at the third beatitude, and I'll be following the same outline as in previous weeks. Let's examine the three parts of the verse. Notice first that Jesus ascribes blessedness. Jesus ascribes blessedness. Blessed are the meek. I would remind you in these Beatitudes that Jesus is describing the character and actions of those whom God approves. These people are in God's favor, and they rejoice to be in this good relationship. Blessedness, remember, is a known state of covenant well-being with God. The war is over. Peace has come because they have been conquered by the kindly king, Jesus. Instead of being separated from God and under his curse, these people are blessed with salvation. So we could read these verses like this. God is pleased with the poor in spirit, and so that man rejoices. God is pleased with those who mourn over their sin, and so that man rejoices. God is pleased with the meek, and so that man rejoices. This happy condition is not earned by men. It is all of God's grace. It is a blessing, not an earned payment. These verses do not teach that if you're meek enough, God will justly compensate you with a blessing. No, these verses declare the happy states to be blessings, gifts, graces. The people in these Beatitudes did not regenerate themselves so that they could see and enter the kingdom of God. They were born again by the Spirit, John chapter 3. So they were given faith and every grace that's described here and more, we might add. In other words, these characteristics of poverty of spirit, mourning over sin, and meekness didn't earn them right standing with God, didn't earn them salvation. Rather, they are the work of God in them that now marks them as saved, as members in his kingdom. And being recipients 
of these graces, they are to pursue living them out by his power. I've said this repeatedly over the weeks in different ways because I don't want you to make the very common mistake, which is these aren't things that if you do them will earn you salvation with God. That is impossible. Instead, these are things that when God grants you life and faith, you always receive from his hand. They become yours, and you act on them. You live them out. So every real Christian is characterized by these things to some degree. It may be small. It may be large. It may be immature. It may be very ripe. But they possess them. And they increasingly strive by the spirit of Christ to live them out. So that's the blessedness that Jesus ascribes. It's the grace of God. All right. Let's move, and here's where we'll spend most of our time. Let's see how Jesus describes the blessed person's character and condition. Let's look at Jesus' description of the blessed person's character and condition. And this is, of course, found in the two words, the meek. The meek. Blessed are the meek. Now, meek is not a word that we commonly hear. It's not a virtue that our contemporary American culture champions, like self-expression or tolerance or justice. But it is an important scriptural concept found repeatedly that describes part of what it means to be Christ-like. Right. Meekness is an important scriptural concept that teaches us part of what it means to be Christ-like. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. In other words, be my disciple. Why? For I am gentle, it's usually translated. But that's actually our word meek. For I am meek and lowly in heart. Following Christ as a disciple means learning to imitate him in many things, including meekness. Now, meekness is not an easy word to translate, at least not with just a single word. Sometimes people will say, well, Meekness is humility. And while closely related, humility is not identical with meekness. Otherwise, the description that Christ just gave of himself would, would be, um, follow me because I am humble and I am humble. And that doesn't really make sense, does it? And it wouldn't be differentiated in Ephesians 4.2, where we are called to the same thing. We are commanded to walk in all humility and meekness. In other words, these are two different things. Oh, yes, they're closely related, but they are two different things. Humility is very close to the poverty of spirit found back in verse 3. That's pretty much the same thing. And meekness grows out of that and the mourning over sin found in verse 4 
but it isn't identical to either of those two things. Neither is it gentleness exactly, and it is certainly not unmanly weakness or lack of backbone. So let me give you several definitions to help us get a hold of what Christ is saying here and what meekness is. And then I'll illustrate it from the Bible and put some scriptural boundaries around it. And I'll give you several definitions. Here's the first one. Meekness is the spiritual grace of learned submission toward God. Meekness is the spiritual grace of learned submission toward God. In other words, it's to be pliable or teachable before God's word and providence. Ooh, that's starting to get practical. That pinches a bit. Oh, good. That means you're starting to understand what meekness is then. And how sometimes little you and I have of it. Meekness is pliability, teachability before God's word and providence. I've always loved the definition that Matthew Henry gives of meekness. A meek man is one who is easily led. That's so simple. God is the shepherd, and we can either dig in our heels like a donkey, or we can willingly follow him. We can easily follow his lead. That's what meekness is, being easily led. So meekness is to be moldable, under the hand of God. And of course, when a man is meek in this way toward God, he becomes meek toward men as well. That means he submits to them in a proper sense. That is, he moderates his anger. He bridles his impatience. And he limits his desire for revenge when treated wrongly. A meek man is humble and gentle, yes. But he's also kind, considerate. He displays self-control. He is alert to be sensitive to others, whether it's God or man. And not just think about himself. That characterizes too much, too many of us too often, does it not? As we walk through our day, there's one person we never seem to put out of our mind, and it's ourselves. What do I need? What do I want? What did that person mean toward me? We easily take offense. We read things back. To be a meek man is to be as aware of God and others as ourselves. It's to be submissive to their wants and needs not just our own. So things like resentment after being wrongly treated, that doesn't consume a meek man. He lets it fall off. Instead, he loves to properly compromise. Properly compromise, I said. 
and to quickly forgive. So here's another definition, kind of a negative one. Meekness is the opposite of stubbornness. Meekness is the opposite of stubbornness or fierceness or being vengeful. It doesn't seek its own things, but it willingly follows God in all situations and acts in a patient manner toward fellow sinners. Arthur Pink beautifully sums it up this way. Meekness is the opposite of self-will toward God and ill-will toward men. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Meekness is the opposite of self-will toward God and the opposite of ill-will toward men. As we've already said, meekness is rooted in the broken-hearted humility of the first two Beatitudes. These graces show that the blessed man has a right view of himself. He isn't proud. He isn't wise in his own eyes. He doesn't even claim to know what's best for himself. He knows that ultimately only God knows that. He knows that he doesn't deserve any good thing from God's hand. Everything good that he has from God is a mercy and a grace. None of it's earned goodness. And so, when God speaks in his word, or in the providences of life, the man acts as we read in Psalm 37. He waits. He listens. He is quiet. Then the meek man says, Lord, teach me. Mold me. Under your word or in these circumstances. Show me the path that is good for me. I don't know the path that's good for me. When I think back on my life, the three worst things that ever happened to me, I would have never picked them. <laughs> I would have never wanted them. I wouldn't even want my worst enemy to have to endure them. But you know what? More good came out of those three things than almost any other periods of my life. So God knew what I needed. <laughs> God knew what was best for me. It didn't feel best at the time, but it was best. And a meek man will actually profit from those situations. He'll take the word of God and try to apply it to the situation and say, what is God trying to teach me here? He won't just get angry. He won't just gripe. He won't rebel. He will be quiet. He will wait. And he will try to hear God in his word telling him how to act in these specific circumstances. And when he bows the neck to God's will, and Christians do that, he is willingly led then by God into truth, into wisdom, and into righteousness by this meekness. Oh, what a, what a valuable grace this is in our lives. This has such incredible potential for bringing us peace. <laughs> and we too often fight against it. 
The meek man is one who sincerely responds to the question of, how are you? By saying, oh, I'm much better than I deserve. <laughs> better than I deserve, that's how I am. Sure, that can be a trite throw-off. But a meek man really believes that. And of course, none of this is natural. This is a grace, a blessing. It's not native to human hearts. It's not even learned from the morality of the world. Meekness is supernatural. And it comes by the word and the spirit at regeneration. And it is then empowered by the spirit and it is pursued by Christians. Amen. So meekness marks believers. Amen. It does. Meekness marks believers. Aaron in Leviticus 10 is a remarkable example of meekness before the judgment of God. And, and meekness is, is no, normally seen in times of, of testing or trial or trouble. Uh, we don't really have to be meek when things are going really, really well. Of course, you know that his brother Moses was declared in Numbers 12 to be the meekest man on the face of the earth at that time. But meekness also characterized Aaron. You remember the story, his two sons Nadab and Abihu, they offered uncommanded fire in God's worship. And what happened to them? God immediately consumed them with fire. Think about the context. God has given his law. He's given all these very specific instructions about how worship was to be done. And this is the first time, the very first time, that Israel has gathered together to follow the word of God to properly worship him. Aaron is wearing the high priest robes for the first time. He is really decked out. There are his sons. They're dressed in their robes, and, and here are the animals, and there's this and that, and, that, and Moses is there, and the people are here. And, and these two sons, who perhaps were drunk, they take uncommanded fire. They give God in worship what God didn't ask for. That's a very important concept in the Bible. And God doesn't overlook it, as he so often does. Because this is the first time he punishes their false fire, their foreign fire, with heavenly judgmental fire. I mean, Aaron is so close, he could smell the consumption of his sons. And what does he do? He does Psalm 37. He waits. He is silent. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. You see, God tells Moses how Aaron is supposed to interpret this situation. And he says, you will treat me as holy in worship or I will judge you. Before all the people, I will be glorified, God says. And what was Aaron's amazing reaction to all of this? 
Well, the text says, and Aaron held his peace. Now that is meekness. Oh, yes. That is the spiritual grace of learned submission to God's word and providence. There it is. That is the spiritual grace of learned submission to God's word and providence. It's the opposite of complaint and self-pity. Meekness and self-pity, they're enemies. When the boy Samuel told the priest Eli that the Lord would, would punish his sons for their blasphemy. What was Eli's response? It was meekness. He said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. There's the grace of learned submission to the word and providence of God. You see, Eli didn't harden his heart. Rather, he was pliable. He was teachable before the Lord. Job displayed meekness when after losing so much. He lost everything good. The only thing he had left was a, an unmeek wife who was a temptation to him. What does he say? The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's meekness. And of course, meekness marked the Lord Jesus. He never argued with God's word, but he only approved it and obeyed it. When his own calling of death on a cross came, he said, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? You see, Jesus was a willing sacrifice. I can't believe many people who were crucified were willing sacrifices. When I think about the lambs in the Old Testament, we tend to think of lambs as fairly docile or passive, maybe even meek. But upon reflection, I find it very hard to believe that any lamb ever was meek in the grasp of the one who was about to bring them death. But Jesus was. Jesus was. He was a meek lamb. It says in Isaiah 53, 7, he was led to the slaughter and, quote, opened not his mouth. No argument. No complaint. Oh, surely there's got to be a better way. None of that. He opened not his mouth. Jesus was meek before his God. He had learned uncomplaining submission to his Father. And when we learn meekness toward God, it informs our actions and attitudes toward men. Again, especially when we receive ill of them. Meekness isn't proud. It doesn't walk around looking down on others. Uh, there are no meek Pharisees, right? Instead, 
The meek Christian is gentle and mild toward others. Why? Because God has been mild and gentle with them. When I think back on my life and how sinful I have often been as a Christian, I have frequently marveled, why isn't God whipping me really, really good? I'm really hard here. Where's the belt? God has been so patient with me. He's been so gentle, so mild. He's been meek with me. He's condescended to me. No, no, he's never excused my sin. He's never overlooked it and pretended it didn't matter. But he was trying to teach me something. And he patiently did that. And because we have been treated that this way, we should be quick to listen, slow to anger, slow to take vengeance on others. Remember, these things that come from the hand of men, they also come from the hand of God, don't they? If you focus on the ill done to you by the human being, you're going to really struggle to be meek. It'll be impossible. But if you will recognize that the hand of your wise God, who knows better than you what you need, has brought this into your life, you will put your hand over your mouth, and you will be quiet. And you will learn, by the grace of God, submission to him. And you will know the peace that Psalm 37 and other places talk about from that. And so as we submit to God, we are enabled to receive injustice from men. That doesn't mean you excuse their injustice. But you are enabled to endure it without a flood of sinful complaints and threats and all kinds of other things. You know, meek Christians don't go to court at every opportunity. Not saying there's never a time to sue, but you shouldn't be, um, you shouldn't have your lawyer on speed dial. A meek Christian sense of justice is balanced. And so their basic response isn't fierce retaliation at the least offense, but it's moderation, self-control, even hopeful patience. Meekness makes us ready to receive instruction and admonition, not just from God, but from each other. Yes, even if it's not perfectly delivered or completely correct. And when is any man's confrontation of you or me ever been that? Jesus is, again, our best example here, of course. Peter tells us that when he was reviled, that is, when he was falsely accused, when he was insulted, he did not revile in return. He didn't pretend that his revilers were being righteous, but he left judgment to God. He didn't return a contentious, resentful, or unforgiving spirit to these sins against him. 
Similarly, Paul says to the church in 2 Corinthians 10.1, I appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. You see, our Savior's meekness is our example. And it's the source of your and my meekness. That's what the Spirit works in us. And so we who were once what Isaiah calls wolves and lions, we safely lie with lambs. Isaiah 11.6. I mean, how is it that a people as sinful and diverse as we are here get along? It's by the meekness of Christ at work in us. That's what it is. Now let me say a quick word about what meekness isn't. Meekness isn't weakness. It's not a lack of courage. It's not a lack of convictions. It is submitting to God and dealing with people in a kind and considerate manner. Well, but that means that there'll be some people who will mistake that for weakness or some other fault like cowardice. Yes, that's probably true. But we really have to be less concerned about what other people think and more concerned about what God thinks about our response in these situations. We have to be more concerned with imitating Christ who was misunderstood. Don't make the mistake of thinking that if someone doesn't immediately get angry at a slight that you give them, that they must be weak or uncaring. Or obviously that proves they're wrong and you're right and your accusation is appropriate. Don't assume any of that. Perhaps as a Christian, they are simply meek. <laughs> Perhaps they're quiet and waiting and trying to learn and they're willing to listen and consider. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. It takes greater strength to control yourself when you are wronged than storming the walls of a fortified city. Meekness is the practical display of the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. And that is the opposite of weakness. The world may think your meekness makes you a coward or a fool, but God knows otherwise. He approves of you. You are blessed. Another misconception is that meekness always yields to evil. Well, what you're describing here is that we would never stand against evil. Oh, oh no, 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 we don't mean that at all. Meekness submits to God's word and will, but it never compromises with evil or ignores harm to others, whether that's to God's glory or to men's good. So meek Moses also broke the covenant tablets when he saw Israel committing idolatry. And when they ran after other gods, he sent men to kill thousands of them. Hardly call that bowing to evil. 
Jesus was also always perfectly meek. But when God's worship was compromised in the temple, he made a whip of cords and drove men out. You see, meekness is more about our personal response to affronts. It's not about evils done to God or other men. It's fighting our self-centeredness. It's dethroning the all-important evil trinity of me, myself, and I. And thinking about others more than ourselves. So while it restrains from private revenge, and it does do that, it doesn't prevent us at all from being faithful to God or defending others. You see, this is why when someone falsely accuses you, I hope you have friends involved in the situation so that you don't have to defend yourself, which is okay to do in, in, in proper matter and manner. It's so much better if someone else can say, uh, no, no, let me, let me take this one up. You, you, don't, you don't need to handle this yourself. Let me take this up for you. Let me do justice. Well, now let's look at the reason for the pronouncement of blessing. And here, of course, we see that Jesus states the reason for the blessedness. This is the reward. This is the content of the blessing. This is found in the phrase, for they shall inherit the earth. Again, several things very quickly about this blessing. First, as with the other blessings, see the certainty of it. They shall inherit the earth, just as those who are poor in spirit do gain the kingdom of heaven, and those who mourn over their sin will be comforted, so the meek shall inherit the earth. It will happen. Secondly, this is partly a present blessing. You know, Christians taste the beginning of this promise in the church. We now live and reign with Christ. We are now kings in waiting. As John says, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared. You see, we are these things now. It's just not outwardly displayed. Or as Paul says, we have nothing but we possess all things. In other words, we are heirs of the earth, indeed of the whole universe, by right. Just not in practice quite yet. And this verse announces that. Well, thirdly, and most obviously, this is, of course, mostly a future blessing. We will inherit the earth, the meek will inherit the earth, when Christ returns and renovates the entire universe. Then he will reign over the earth and we will <laughs> reign with him. As Peter says, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This is the literal, physical earth remade in glory for the display of God's greatness and the joy of his people. Now, the world thinks this is a really stupid verse. I mean, talk about impractical. I mean, the last people who get anything in this life are the meek. 
you got to go out and grab it yourself. You got to use whatever means is necessary for you to get the money and the fame and the honors, the glory. You got to go do it or it's not going to happen. Well, that's not Christ's way. That's the wrong way. And it doesn't result in lasting riches. A future life, good beyond your and my wildest imaginations, comes from being joined to Christ by faith and living under his kingship. We're the adopted sons of God. And while we don't look like it now, we are. And when that day comes, we will be made like him because we'll see him as he is and we will reign with him. Two very quick uses and we'll be done. First of all, let me just remind you that this beatitude describes every Christian's character. This beatitude describes every Christian's character. Every Christian has meekness. Now in other New Testament texts, the call to meekness is specifically addressed to wives. In other places, it's specifically addressed to those who are spiritual. In other places, repeatedly to pastors or elders, and at times to whole churches. So brothers and sisters, this call to meekness is one that's true for you generally as a Christian, and it's also one specific to you in whatever your calling is. Husband, wife, child, church member, worker, citizen, whatever your callings are, you are called to be meek in all of those. In other words, this verse applies to you. <laughs> and I would urge you to Try to be more cognizant of meekness, both in yourself and in your brothers and sisters. Some of you might say, I'm actually finding this sermon really kind of scary because I just really don't see this in myself. Well, you may have a very small amount of it. And it may be that some of your presiding sins uh, Squelch this. Uh, this may be an area of real weakness for you. But if you're a Christian, you have this in Christ, and you can work to grow in this grace of Christ. The second use is this. I would urge all of you to highly value meekness. The world does not. Christians must. Think about how unified, peaceful, and productive our homes and church would be if we all excelled in this. We, there would never be an argument. If you and I were easily led by God into truth and love, think about how many spiritual spankings we would avoid. Think of how pleasant life would be together. If we treated each other with meekness, sins would quickly be forgiven. Jealousy and resentment, 
touchiness would disappear. Humility and kindness would reign. So highly value meekness. Memorize some of these definitions. Ask God to work it increasingly in your life. And may God give us all the grace to do that. Let's pray.